Uh, so Father God, we just thank you for, for Nick, yeah, and we just um, yeah, really do uh, ask your spirit upon him, Father God, even, even more powerfully, Father. We know that your spirit is already in him and on him, but um, yeah, we just ask for, for more of you uh, in, his, in his life, Father God, as he leads our church and brings us the word this morning. Amen. Amen. <clears throat> well, good morning. Um, apologies for that noise a moment ago. Uh, and uh, you're all awake now, though. Um, and, and, and so sometimes uh, I think that um, when God wants to do something, sometimes there's even more distractions and, and, um, and the enemy attempts to use whatever way he can to get us to tune out. Um, so I encourage you to, to tune in to what God wants to do uh, in our hearts and in our lives this morning through His Word and by His Spirit. Um, Dan's prayed, so I'm going to launch in with, without uh, praying myself, but I, I just want to remind us of where we've been. So we're, we're begin, we began a few weeks ago the story of the early church picking up after uh, the Resurrection Sunday and, and we're exploring through Acts and, and, and going through that, that testimony of the early church. And, and so last week we, we explored the day of Pentecost when the Holy Spirit was poured out and we, as Dan has already mentioned, we had a great time of just waiting on the Holy Spirit and, and praying together. And I, I wanted to share a couple things that people have mentioned to me. I'm not going to mention names because they've not kind of given pub permission for those names to be publicly shared, but, but uh, just to, to encourage the church that the Holy Spirit was, was moving and active and, and continuing to be moving and active, not like he was isolated to that uh, point of time, but, but we perhaps didn't see the tongues of fire or, or hear the rushing wind as the day of Pentecost, but, but God was still at work in tangible ways amongst people. And so people were, a few people shared to me um, that last week they just felt the, the joy of the Spirit bubbling out with laughter in them. One person said that they started to feel that before well, right at the start of when, when the sermon started, and God does that sometimes, I think, to remind us and remind us preachers, it wasn't because you did a great sermon, it was God um, who was at work. And uh, one person shared with me that they've always been a little bit freaked out by the idea of tongues, um, and, and, you know, occasion, and uh, as I said, I, I pray in tongues from time to time, and um, well, often privately, and sometimes uh, from time to time in other people's presence um, while I'm just praying. And, and he said, oh, I've been freaked out when you do it too. Um, and I tried to hold it in, but, but tongues just came forth from within me um, as I was praying. And, and so they, it wasn't that they were pursuing it. They weren't trying to pray in tongues and making something up. Just this, this prayer language bubbled up within them. Others have shared they, they felt a, a just sense of peace and things that they were being stressed about and anxious about and people they worried about. Um, that, that following that time, they just felt God's presence from the whole, in the Holy Spirit and, and have just felt peace after that. Someone gave their life to the Lord um, or made that commitment for what I understand to be the first time. And so last week, God was at work um, in the life of the church and, and here on Sunday morning. But we know he's not restricted to that time. And so we want to, uh, Dan said, if you missed out, you missed out last week. But, but we can never miss out on what God's doing. Um, and, and so we, if any of that stirs your heart and you weren't here last week or you were here and, and you think, oh, I want more of the Holy Spirit, then, then just come to the Holy Spirit in your prayer time, in your life, and, and just invite the Holy Spirit to come and, and pour out on you more. And, and so this week we pick up the story uh, after, in the days following the day of Pentecost and, and with this, what James has read for us this morning, this miraculous healing of a crippled man on the steps of the temple. Uh, and this is, this is kind of the first 
healing miracle we see in the book of Acts. It's, the, it's not the first miracle because we've had the supernatural signs and wonders on the day of Pentecost. We've seen Jesus ascend into heaven. Um, so it's not the first miraculous thing that happened, but it's the first miracle that happened on the day of Pentecost. Uh, happened, sorry, following the day of Pentecost. Uh, and I just want to read for you, though, the, 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 the little passage that comes between the day of Pentecost and the reading that James read this morning about that miraculous healing of the man. And so Luke, the writer of Acts, gives us this little summary piece before he continues the story, just to wrap up what's happening at the day, after the day of Pentecost before he continues the story with the healing of the man at the temple. So in, in Acts chapter 2, verse 42, it says, They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. They is the church. The, those first believers, and we're told in, in, at the end of, I didn't focus on this last week, but on the day of Pentecost, we're told that, um, that about 3,000 were added to the church that day. So they went from about 120 people to about 3,000 people on that day. That's a, a rapid church growth. Um, and it says, so they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, um, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe, and many wonders and miraculous signs were done by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common, selling their possessions and goods they gave to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts, they broke bread in their homes, and they ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favour of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. And so we get this summary of what life in the first few days of the church was like after it was birthed on the day of Pentecost. And in the middle of that, there's this one verse, Acts 2.43, that I want to draw our attention to this morning. It says that everybody was filled with awe and many wonders and miraculous signs were done by the apostles. And so this miracle is the first healing miracle in the book of Acts. And so I'm just going to take the opportunity this morning to, to launch from that place to talk about signs and wonders in the early church, to talk about signs and wonders in the life of the church today. And so uh, it only takes a, a glancing reading through the book of Acts to, to, to understand that signs and wonders were a common occurrence in the early church, that, that the miraculous was something that just happened often. Uh, there's, a, there's a bunch of summary statements like that, and we're just going to whiz through them this morning. Um, I think they are in your version app if you're following along, or you might need quick fingers if you're, if you're using a text Bible. But Acts chapter 5, verses 12, uh, and jumping a few verses to keep it a bit shorter, 15 and 16, says this. It says, The apostles performed many signs and wonders among the people, and all the believers used to meet together in Solomon's colonnade. That's just a kind of a bit on the edge of the temple. As a result, the people brought the sick into the streets and laid them on beds and mats so that at least Peter's shadow might fall on some of them as he passed by. Crowds gathered also from towns around Jerusalem, bringing their sick and those tormented by impure spirits, and all of them were healed. So we've got this picture of people coming to, to the apostles, to the believers, seeking healing, and many people were healed. It was, it was such a common thing that... We get this just summary statement. Uh, now, in Acts chapter 6, verse 8, it says, Now Stephen, a man full of God's grace and power, performed great wonders and signs amongst the people. 
Uh, now, Stephen wasn't an apostle. Actually, he, he was uh, called to be one of the seven who distributed food to, to widows. And one of the qualifying uh, characteristics for that job was to be filled with the Holy Spirit and to not be an apostle um, because the apostles had other tasks. So Stephen's not an apostle, but we're told that um, he performed great wonders and signs amongst the people. In Acts chapter 8, verse 5 and 8, it says, Philip, also not an apostle, there was an apostle called Philip, but this is Philip the evangelist, we usually call him. Philip went down to a city in Samaria and proclaimed the Messiah there. When the crowds heard Philip and saw the signs he performed, they, were all, they all paid close attention to what he said. For with shrieks, impure spirits came out of many, and many who were paralyzed or lame were healed, so there was great joy in that city." And this is the final summary statement I'm going to read. It says uh, in Acts chapter 19, verses 11 and 12, God did extraordinary miracles through Paul so that even handkerchiefs and aprons that had touched him were taken to the sick and their illnesses were cured and the evil spirits left them. And so there's all these accounts of these statements where it says essentially that many miraculous signs and wonders occurred. This was, this was such a frequent occurrence in the early church that, that they just reported that it happened many times. And on top of that, we get all the individual accounts, which from these summary statements, we know, we know that wasn't all that happened in the miraculous, but we get these individual accounts of, of, of specific healings or signs and wonders. And, and it's not just about healing. People are healed, yes. People are actually raised from the dead. Demons are cast out of people or demonic spirits. Uh, people are miraculously freed from p- prison uh, on two separate occasions. Um, Paul is bitten by a snake and everyone expects him to drop dead, but he just shakes it off and, and goes on uh, with his life. Um, Paul was also stoned to death and then got up and walked back into the city and kept preaching about Jesus. So, so the miraculous isn't just about healing, but, but healing is one of the, the, the places where we see signs and wonders most occur in the early church. And so Acts gives us this picture of frequent signs and wonders in the early church. And so the first thing we, we, we need to do when we want to explore the idea of signs and wonders in the church is, is to mind the gap. And so if you've ever been to a train station, uh, most train stations will have either on the, on the edge of the platform or on the other side of the platform on the wall, they'll have these words, mind the gap. It's just reminding you that as close as the train will get to the platform, um, and, and pretty close these days with you know, modern trains, that there's going to be a gap between the platform and the train. And if you don't mind the gap, you'll end up tripping over or falling in it. And so the first thing we need to do when we're exploring signs and wonders, the the miraculous, when we're looking at the book of Acts and considering what it means for us today as the church, is to mind the gap between our own experience and what we see in the book of Acts. For most believers today, it's true to say that there is a gap between at least the frequency and I would say the, the, the extremity of the signs and wonders that we see in our life and faith and church and what we see described in, in the book of Acts. And so that's the, that's the place I want to begin this morning is, is by exploring, well, how do we respond to that gap? 
If, if there's no gap in your life, then I'd love to have a chat with you about that and, 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 and kind of hand the pulpit over to you this morning, in a sense. But if there's absolutely no gap in your life, then, then that's wonderful and marvellous. I'm not saying there should be a gap. It's actually the opposite of what I'm saying. But what we need to begin with is, is minding this gap. And there's a number of different ways that people respond to the gap in our own experience and the, and the new early church's experience. There's a number of different ways that we respond to that. And the first way that people tend to respond to it is simply to ignore it, to pre- pretend that there, there is no gap or just not acknowledge it, deny it, um, just, just gloss over it. And the, the most uh, powerful experience I've had of the gap between the, the biblical testimony of the early church and, and our own experience was... Um, I'd went with some people to visit a church that I wasn't part of. Um, I won't name the church and, and, and I'm not seeking to judge them because they may have at other times really focused on it and it just wasn't the Sunday they wanted to do that. But, but in the service that I was in at least, uh, it was just such a, a jarring experience of ignoring the gap. And so they were working their way through the book of Acts and, and the passage they were focusing on um, this Sunday evening was Acts chapter 20 verse 7 to 12 and We don't have that uh, on on the screen for you. I just want to read it for you this morning. So this is the passage they were preaching on. It says, On the first day of the week we came together to break bread. Paul spoke to the people, and because he intended to leave the next day, he kept on talking until midnight. So if you feel like the sermons are long here, (laughs) just... Just be thankful. Like I said last week, if you think that there's a lot of theology nerd stuff in my sermons, then I'm happy to show you what gets left out. Um, So he decided to speak on until midnight. There were many lamps in the upstairs room where they were meeting. Seated in a window was a young man named Eutychus who was sinking into a deep sleep as Paul talked on and on. When he was sound asleep, he fell to the ground from the third story and picked up and was picked up dead. Paul went down, threw himself on the young man, and put his arms around him. Don't be alarmed, he said. He is alive. Then he went upstairs again and broke bread and ate. After talking until daylight, he left. The people took the young man home alive and were greatly comforted. And so what's the thing that stands out most to you in this passage? That there's a young man that, hopefully this is what stands out most, A young man falls to his death and then is raised to life. Well, in this church service, this gathering, again, I'm not seeking to be judgmental, I'm just seeking to illustrate. The sermon was about the essential components of a a church service, which was fellowship, breaking bread together, and and preaching. And I sat there the whole time and was like, when are we going to get to the whole point of why this story has been included? Because we know that Paul preached lots and lots and lots of times. This wasn't the only time that that Paul would have spoken to midnight and through to the next morning about Jesus because he was going on to the next town. We have this story because it includes the episode, the testimony of a young man falling to his death and being raised to life. But it was jarring in this church gathering that, that the young man wasn't even mentioned apart from the Bible reading, there was no mention of this supernatural raising to life. And, and so, as I say, maybe they, they spoke about that a lot at other times when I wasn't there. I wasn't not intending to, to heap judgment on a church this morning. But I'm just saying that often we respond in that way. 
We might not just completely ignore it, but often we kind of read a passage about someone who was dead and was raised to life and and we we don't let that impact us in the way that it should. We we don't get uh, shocked and amazed. And last week I spoke about the crowds being amazed at at the signs and wonders on the day of Pentecost and, and the biblical Greek words meaning just being perplexed and beside yourself and having no explanation for what was happening. And we just kind of, we don't dig into it at that level sometimes, we just ignore it. We ignore the gap between our experience and what we read in, in the biblical testimony of the early church. Another response that people make is, is to explain it, to, to not ignore the gap but to explain it away. They might, there's, there's lots of explanations like the, the theory of cessation uh, where, where the supernatural doesn't happen anymore, that there was a time limit on that for some reason. Um, that's not explained in our biblical material for some other reason. But at some point in history, God decided no more miracles. Uh, and as I said last week, I, I, I just want to say that idea is not founded in the Bible and it's, it's simply false. There's also the idea uh, that, that the, the, the miraculous was only the work of the apostles and that's that first 12 apostles and, and that since they are now no longer with us that the, the, the work of signs and wonders has finished. But I've already read to you two accounts of non-apostles, people who qualified for a position in the church um, and don't think position in the same way we think position today but, but qualified for that position in the life of the church because they were not apostles yet they performed many signs and wonders. Some suggest that it's only those who have the gift of healing who will ever see signs and wonders, and that's a, that's a really rare gifting, and so that's why it's really rare in the church today because, because we don't see lots of people with that gift, and so we don't see lots of signs and wonders. And I say, well, there is a gift of healing, just as there's a gift of hospitality. But we never say of the gift of hospitality, well, I don't have people in my home and I don't, I don't share and break bread and share meals with others because I don't have the gift of hospitality. People who have the, the spiritual gift of hospitality just excel at that beyond the norm. And it's the same of the gift of healing. People who have the gift of healing excel at that beyond the norm. But as we'll see in a, in a little while, we all have within us the necessary ingredients, a little bit of a spoiler alert, Jesus to see signs and wonders. And others would suggest that the reason we see less signs and wonders in the world today is because the the belief in the supernatural in general in our secular society has decreased uh, and so people don't just believe in miracles as much anymore in general and so we just don't see the miraculous as much. I would suggest that that's actually not true. We have a very vocal atheist element in our world today but but uh, evidence suggests that spirituality in Australia is on the rise. It's not Christian spirituality on the rise, although the church is not uh, as backward or or shrinking back as we may think, but but people are becoming more spiritual. Uh, But in any case, even though we we can argue against the explanations, the biggest problem with any explanation of the gap between our experience and the experience of the early church is it resolves the tension for us. 
I don't think any of these explanations are biblical. I don't actually think any of these explanations are, are true. But even if there's a kernel of truth in them, the biggest problem is it resolves the tension in that gap. And so we don't press into it. We don't pursue more of God in our own day because we have a reason, we have an explanation and it's a fine line between an explanation and an excuse. And so we can ignore the gap, we can explain the gap and and explaining is tempting to do. I am the theology nerd, as I said last week, and it's really tempting for me to to go down the track of wanting, wanting to explain why there's a gap and what the difference between our day and their day is and things like that. But but what I want to encourage us to do this morning is not to explain it, not to ignore it, but to step into it. Now, if we're talking about trains and platforms, that's a really bad idea. (laughs) If you're standing on a train platform, do not step into the gap between you and the train. But when we're talking about the gap between the experience of the early church and, and our experience of faith and life and church, I really want to encourage you to step into that gap, to not ignore it, to not explain it, to step into the gap, to step into that tension because that tension doesn't have to be anxious tension, that tension drives us towards God. That tension drives us towards not thinking of an explanation ourselves or, or ignoring it but drives us towards God and Him being not the explanation but the solution to the gap. And so this morning, I'm going to talk about what does it look like to step into the gap. And part of that is simply to understand the place of signs and wonders in the early church and understand the place of it in the church today. And so I just want to talk about three things now. I want to talk about who can heal, when do miracles happen, and what does it look like to step into the gap and press in for more in prayer. And so that's, that's for me what it looks like to step into the gap. And so the first question I want to explore is, well, well who can heal? Uh, and, and we're not just talking about healing, as I said, but, but healing is the most predominant sign and wonder that we see uh, in the New Testament and today. And so you can read, um, it just got really long on my slide title today, who can heal, perform miraculous um, signs and wonders, raise people from the dead, cast out demons. And so just let's read who can heal as a, an example of a sign and wonder. And so to, do, to explore this question, I want to jump back into this, this story of a, of a crippled man being healed uh, on the temple steps by Peter and John. And, and so as James read the story, there's a, there's a man who's placed at a temple gate every day there to beg. He's probably placed there by some relatives um, who, who can't fully support his care and so they place him there to beg um, and he might have a signpost or a piece of cardboard saying, you know, can't walk, um, please give money. Um, and, and, and so Peter says, I don't have any money, but what I have, I give to you in the name of Jesus, rise and walk. And so the man miraculously rises and walks, and we're told that he doesn't just rise and walk, but he leaps for joy and dances around as you would if you were never able to walk. And then if we jump into Acts chapter 3, verse 11 and 12... Peter, in his response to the crowd that gathers, gives us uh, an answer to who can heal. It says, While the man held on to Peter and John, all the people were astonished and came running to them, as you would be, in the place called Solomon's Colonnade. When Peter saw this, he said to them, Fellow Israelites, why does this surprise you? 
Why do you stare at us as if by our own power or godliness we had made this man walk? Rooted in this is the natural assumption of humanity that if we see someone completely crippled for their entire life, healed so that they can walk and dance and jump around, our natural assumption is there must be something very special about the person who did it. They must have some unique power to heal. And so Peter says, why do you stare at us as if it was by our power we healed this man? Peter says, it's not by my power or John's power. It's not something, a power that we possess that has healed this man. And for those of us with, a, with a, perhaps a, a bit of a theology around healing, we, we would go, of course it's not by, by Peter's power. It's in the name and power of Jesus, which is what Peter points us towards. But, but only those who are exceptionally godly are, are people that God would ever use to heal somebody. You know, we have to reach this level of, of spirituality and godliness and righteousness and, and, then, and then God may heal through us. If we're honest with ourselves, this is the reason why most of us discount ourselves from, from being someone that God could perform signs and wonders through. We just think, well, I'm simply not good enough. I'm not godly enough. I'm not holy enough. I'm not righteous enough for God to heal through me. And so we don't pursue it. But Peter says into that space as well, why do you stare at us as if it's by our own godliness, as if it's through our unique righteous living that, that God has chosen to use us to heal this person? Peter makes clear it's not his power, it's not John's power, it's not his godliness or righteousness that has qualified him to to have worked a miracle and it's not John's uh, capacity that has qualified him to do the miracle. It's not about them whatsoever. But Peter goes on to say in uh, Acts chapter 3 verse 16 that it is by faith in the name of Jesus This man whom you see and know was made to be strong. It is Jesus' name and the faith that comes through him that has completely healed him, as you can all see. I love how many times Peter says that you can see. He's he's pointing them back to the testimony of a man they all knew to be crippled, healed. He says, you can see this. But it's not through their godliness, it's not through their power It's through simply the name of Jesus and faith in Him. So this is John 14, uh, chapter 12, verse 12 and 14. Jesus said this to His disciples. This is, is, I believe, where, where Peter got the idea that something like this was possible. Jesus said to them before His uh, death and resurrection, He said, Very truly I tell you, whoever believes in Me will do the works I have done, how I have been doing, and they will do even greater things than these because I'm going to the Father. And I will do whatever you ask in my name so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. You may ask me for anything in my name and I will do it. And so to the question essentially of who can heal or who can perform miracles, Peter says it's not us in our power or godliness. It's not us having to possess some unique power granted to us from God. It's not us having to be especially godly or righteous. He says it's the name of Jesus and faith in the name of Jesus. And this is where I believe he got the idea. It's Jesus who said to them, whoever 
believes in me will do the miracles I have done and even greater things. It's not simply a small group of apostles who Jesus says of, you will be able to do the works I've done and even greater things. It's not a, for a unique time period, Jesus does not say, very truly I tell you, whoever believes in me for a period of about 70 years will be able to do uh, the works I've been doing and greater things. Jesus does not say those who are uniquely gifted with the gift of healing will be able to do the works that I've been doing and greater things. Jesus says, whoever believes in me, whoever. I am part of the whoever. I believe in Jesus. If you believe in Jesus, you are part of the whoever. We are all part of the whoever. And so to step into that gap is to understand that we are part of the whoever. It's not to ignore, it's not to explain that that's something someone else can do or someone else could do in the past. It's to understand that as a believer in Jesus, I am part of the whoever. I'm not especially powerful. I'm not especially godly but that doesn't matter because I believe in Jesus and I'm part of the whoever. And so I want to encourage you to step into that gap this morning and, and, and believe that of yourself, that you are part of the whoever that believes in Jesus, that can do the works he did in his earthly ministry. You can do, in fact, even greater things. I love how humble Jesus is. He's not saying, I'm the greatest healer of all time. He's saying, you can do what I do. You can do even greater things than I do. He says, I'll do whatever you ask in my name to glorify the Father. You may ask anything and I will do it. He says that of whoever believes in him. So who can heal? Well, anyone that believes in Jesus. Uh, The next question I want to step into the gap of is, well, when do miracles happen? When do signs and wonders occur in the life of the church and the life of mission and ministry? And we see in the story of the, the healing of this crippled man on the steps of the temple, we, we see Peter taking that miraculous happening, the crowd that formed around it, as an opportunity to proclaim the gospel. In Acts chapter 3, verse 19, he says, uh, as part of his gospel message, he points them to Jesus as the power who healed, and then he says, repent then and turn to God so that your sins may be wiped out, that times of refreshing may come from the Lord. And so Peter takes that opportunity for gospel proclamation to be a witness to the person of Jesus. And so we see this mostly throughout the book of Acts. We see that this is the context in which most of the signs and wonders happen. That the the, the miracles occur when the church is on mission. That when they're out in the world amongst unbelievers, people who don't yet believe, is when we see most of the miracles occur. They're either happening before the gospel is proclaimed to create an, an environment of belief that, that they can speak into, like Peter does, uh, after the healing on the steps of the temple, or they're, they're, they're happening in the context of gospel proclamation, affirming the word that's been spoken. 
And it connects, as we, we said in the first week of this series, it connects with, with Jesus' fundamental calling for us as followers of him is that we're called to be witnesses. We're called to be witnesses. And so we, we see in the book of Acts that the signs and wonders most happen when the church is being a witness. In Acts chapter 8, verses 5 and 8, uh, we're told, and I've already read this verse, so I'm not going to read it all, but, but I just want to read again what's highlighted there. It says, When the crowds heard Philip, so they heard him proclaim the gospel, and they saw the signs and wonders, signs he performed, they all played, paid close attention to what he said. And so the miraculous function in that city in Samaria when Philip was in, on mission there, the, the miracles functioned to create a, a hearing for the gospel message. In Acts chapter 14, verse 3, uh, it says, So Paul and Barnabas spent considerable time there, that's in a particular city, it's not important for now, boldly, speaking boldly for the Lord, who confirmed the message of His grace by enabling them to perform signs and wonders. And so here they're they're speaking the gospel to people who don't yet know it. They're proclaiming Jesus as Lord, as crucified and resurrected for the forgiveness of their sins. And that message to unbelievers is confirmed with signs and wonders. So signs and wonders create an opportunity for the gospel. They confirm the gospel. And it's perhaps when we we capture a sense of greater boldness in evangelism, greater boldness in in sharing Jesus with others that we'll experience greater uh, signs and wonders in our own life. As I was was talking about this message this week with someone, they suggested that the, the title here should be, Is it Sharing or Caring? Because the context in which we most pray for healing, if we're honest with ourselves, is in the church with people who already believe in Jesus. And we pray for healing more out of a a caring thing. We we love these people and we want to see them healed. And that's the context in which we we most seek God for signs and wonders. And I want to say I'm not trying to create an either-or or or a a false dichotomy here. I think it's both end. We're called to, to pray for people, brothers and sisters in the church. And we see that happen in Acts. We we see um, Paul heal, heal a woman named Tabitha or Dorcas, depending on which language you put her name in. And, and she was a beloved person in this group of believers uh, and they were really grieved that they, they had lost her and her leadership and, and so uh, moved with compassion, as Jesus often was. Um, Paul, in the name of Jesus and in the power of Jesus, raised her back to life. The, 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 the raising to life of Eutychus in that story where he fell out the window, I'd say that's an example of, of caring. That's in the context of the church where, where a person was raised from the dead. And so we see in Acts that, that the supernatural happens within the church community, but in an overwhelming sense that more often is occurring when the church is on mission outside of the walls of the church. So I don't want to create a, an either-or, but, but I, I want us to capture a sense of, of signs and wonders are part of our gospel witness. Signs and wonders are part of what it, it means to proclaim and demonstrate the power of the name of Jesus. So we want to pray for our brothers and sisters in the church and encourage you to, to keep praying for, for Steve, um, 
both for guiding of his doctor's hands, but also for just for supernatural healing and recovery uh, for him. And we're thankful that um, despite the, the belief of the doctors of what must have happened, the, the, the cancer hasn't spread beyond his bladder. So we praise God for that. Continue to pray for, for Jenny Ball, who um, is, is having rehabilitation after having a, a knee replacement. Uh, continue to pray for everybody you know within the church that's sick or needs healing. But, but what I want to capture out of the, the, the testimony of the early church this morning is, is that we can step out further beyond that to pray for our, our friends and family that don't know Jesus. If you've got a friend or, or a family member who, who's not a believer in Jesus but says to you, oh, I've, I've hurt my shoulder, what a great opportunity for the power of Jesus to be displayed. Why not? Can I, can I pray for that? I believe Jesus has the power to heal. Let's see what happens. We don't need to set it up as, oh, Jesus is totally going to heal you. There's absolutely no doubt in my mind. We can say, you know, my crazy pastor on Sunday said that we should pray for people who have injured shoulders and, and I'm not sure, but let's give it a go. And I just want to pray in the name of Jesus that you be healed. Pray for your friends and family that don't know Jesus so that they might experience his power so that then when you talk about who he is, that there's this environment of belief created. That's where we see it function in the book of Acts most. If you're feeling especially bold, if you see someone limping down the street and you don't know them, take the opportunity to say, hey, I'm one of the crazy people at that crazy church. and Just say, hey, hey, it's a crazy thought. I believe in Jesus and that he can heal. Would you mind if I pray for you? I, I confess that I haven't been super bold with that for a while, but... But my testimony of, that, of doing that with strangers is very rarely do people say no. Even if it's just to humour you. And when they do, they're very thankful that you offered. So let's keep praying for people in the church. But I want to stir within us this morning a, a desire to actually pray for those that don't yet know Jesus. Because that... Not that that's the explanation for the gap, but as we seek to understand what was happening in the early church and what's happening today, I think if we step into that gap, we might perhaps see more and more of the, the supernatural in our own life. And so, when do miracles happen? Well, they happen when we pray. And the book of Acts tells us that they especially happen when we pray for those that don't yet know Jesus. To finish up this morning, I just want to talk about stepping into the gap in, in prayer. Of, 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 so we've talked about not ignoring it, not explaining it, to, to understand that we are part of the whoever believes in Jesus can be healed, but also to, to, to understand that miracles happen uh, when we step out in faith to pray for unbelievers. But, but I want to talk about, to finish, stepping into the gap in prayer. Because if I was to offer an explanation for why we don't see more signs and wonders today, I'd suggest it's because we don't pray for it. And I'm not talking about we don't pray for people. Um, my experience is that um, I see more miracles happen when I pray for them. I've never once seen someone healed without praying for them first. 
I'm, I'm perhaps not at the level of, of Peter where, where people, you know, get healed by my shadow or Paul where people get healed by my hanky. It's, that's a journey. But, but actually I see more miracles when I actually pray. Um, and so the early church modelled for us not just praying for people but praying for simply miracles to occur. We're told uh, in Acts chapter 4, verse 29 to 31, um, that this was the prayer of the early church. And, and so this comes in the context of, of persecution and opposition, which we're going to talk about next week. But this week, I just want to touch on what did the early church actually pray for when they gathered together? And so this is kind of the climax of their prayer. Um, we have this prayer ga- gathering described in, in Acts chapter 4, but it says, Now, Lord... Consider their threats, that's the threats of those who are saying, you may not preach in the name of Jesus. You may not mention the name of Jesus publicly uh, and, 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 or you'll be imprisoned and killed. And so the church responds by saying, now Lord, consider their threats and enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. And so in the, in, in the context of seeking to be silenced, the church prayed for a great boldness in speaking about the Word of God, about the the Gospel of Jesus Christ. And then they also prayed, stretch out your hand to heal and perform signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant Jesus. And so their their, their prayer was that they proclaim the Gospel boldly and that God would affirm that message, create a context where that message would be believed and heard by stretching out His hands to perform signs and wonders through the name of Jesus. They're coming before God. They're stepping into the gap and saying, God, give us that boldness to speak about you to people that don't yet know you. But come with us. Stretch out your hand and perform signs and wonders. So I want to encourage you this morning that when we're presented with this gap, when we mind the gap between what we read about in the early church and what we experience in our own life, to to not ignore it, to wrestle with it, to step into the gap, to not explain it, to to come up with a reason why that should not be our experience or we can't reasonably expect to experience that, but to step into the gap. And I want to encourage you this morning to, to not just pray for people, but pray that we would see signs and wonders occurring in our own life, that Jesus may be glorified, that people might have an opportunity to believe in his name, that, that faith would be more than just words. It reminds me of the, the Old Testament story when Moses was leading God's people through uh, the desert and uh, the repeated story of, of how Israel kind of disappointed God over and over again. And, and God said to Moses, you know what, I'm still going to give the people of Israel the promised land, but I'm not going to go with you. My, my presence isn't going to go with you. I'll send you an angel um, to go with you, to guide you, but I'm done. I'm not going with you. And Moses' response is, well, then we're not going. What is unique about us, if not the presence of the Almighty God? And Moses says, unless you come with us, I will not move from this place. And so unless we're 
people of the presence of God unless signs and wonders surround the church that point towards Jesus. They're called signs for a reason. They point towards something. They point towards Jesus. Then what is special about us? It's not our power. It's not our godliness. It's the the power of the name of Jesus. And so I want to encourage us to be as Moses did as he stepped into the gap for the people of Israel and says, we are not going unless you come with us with your almighty powerful presence. To step into the gap and say, yes, God, give us boldness. And I think for the modern day church, there's a, as, and for myself especially, there's definitely a place of repentance there because we've not been as faithful with proclaiming the name of Jesus as we ought to have been. So there's a place for us to repent and say, I repent, God, that I have not been bold with proclaiming the name of Jesus. But asking for power from on high, as I said, I love those words, we'll be clothed with power from on high, asking that God would give us boldness and asking that as we go boldly to proclaim the word of Jesus to those that don't yet know him, that he would accompany that word by stretching out his hand, by reaching out with his strength and healing and performing signs and wonders in the name of Jesus. I I want to encourage us to step into the gap. We're stepping into the gap. Moses stepped into the gap on the behalf of the people of Israel. Let's step into the gap on behalf of the people of Yas, on behalf of the people of our region, of our nations. Let's step step into the gap because they need to know the name of Jesus. And nothing creates an opportunity for people to believe other than gospel proclamation surrounded by the supernatural. And so God's response to that prayer. It says, after they had prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken. That's another theophany for those who were here last week. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and they spoke the word of God boldly. And the testimony of the book of Acts is that God also stretched out his hand with signs and wonders and performed many miracles that affirmed and confirmed the word of Jesus. So don't ignore the gap, don't explain the gap, step into it, unless you're at a train platform. And so this morning I want to pray for all of us and I want to pray this prayer that's on the screen, but I just want us all to especially pray for those who who feel stirred, um, that perhaps you've always had a desire for for God to perform signs and wonders or, or you just this morning as we've been um, unpacking uh, the signs and wonders in the book of Acts that you just feel like, yeah, God, let that happen. Let's, let's see that happen in our day. Let there be no gap. And, and so if that's you, I want to pray for you in a moment. I'm going to ask you in a moment to stand. Um, and then following that, we're going to worship and, and just following that, I want to have an opportunity for anyone that... Um, needs healing for anything today that we would pray for you as well so if you feel stirred if you're if you're someone that just desires yes i want to be given boldness to proclaim the word and i want to see god perform signs and wonders in my life just encourage you to stand where you are and we're going to reach out um just where you are and and, um yeah so if if, if that's you just stand now it's okay to not stand um, because we're all going to pray for 
So the reason I, I ask uh, at times for people to do stuff is not because standing suddenly somehow enables God to do something he couldn't do before. It's, it's just an opportunity for you to your own self say, yeah, that's what I want, to, 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 to trigger that decision. Um, it's like in the Psalms it says, I, I will tell my soul to be still. It, it's saying, yes, I'm going to say yes to this. Um, so if, if you're... Um, standing, I just encourage you to adopt whatever feels like a, a, a position that you're ready to receive from God. And, um, and just encourage others, if, if you feel led, just to stretch out your arms towards those who are standing. And we just want to pray for these people. And so, Father, I just pray on these people that have stood and have say, Yes, Lord, I want boldness. Father, we repent of times when we have not been bold, when we have shrunk back from proclaiming the name of Jesus. We repent of that. And so, Father, I pray for those that have stood and said, Yes, Lord, I want that boldness. I pray that by your Holy Spirit that you would fill them with an uncontainable boldness to proclaim the name of Jesus. I pray that as the prophet Jeremiah spoke about the word of God, that he said, if I try and keep it in, it's like a fire in my bones that I cannot contain. I, I pray that those who have stood this morning, that, that the, the word that proclaims the name of Jesus would be like that. That though they may try and can contain it, that, that it bursts forth from them. Father, I pray that we would be bold, but yet still what it says elsewhere in Scripture, that we would have our conversations seasoned with grace. That we would be bold with the gospel, but gracious to those we proclaim it. And Father, I pray for those that are standing and who have said, yes, Lord, I want to step into the gap. I don't want to explain it. I don't want to ignore it. I want to step, <clears throat> step into the gap and live it. So, Father, we pray that you would stretch out your hand, that through us <clears throat> who are part of the whoever, who have faith in Jesus, that through us you would perform signs and wonders and miracles, that you would heal the sick, that you would raise the dead, that, that those who are oppressed by demonic spirits would have those spirits cast out from them in the name of Jesus. I pray that those who need inner healing would have supernatural, supernatural inner healing in the name of Jesus. So, Father, we pray that in the name of Jesus that there would not be a gap between our experience and what we see given testimony to in the early church. And we pray that in the name of Jesus. be blessed and encouraged by this message we'd love for you to become a part of the Ask Baptist family log on to ycbc.church to find out more